story how the thousands were fed how he lifted the sick and how he raised up the dead and i can tell of the others like the blind made to see but i'd rather tell you what has happened to me
city of light where there cometh no night and the sun never sets in the sky in the bible we're told that the streets are pure gold and the cool gentle Y'all just get out and shake hands. Find as many people as you know. Shake their hands and find some you don't know. And get acquainted. While the choir's coming down, let's fellowship.
Everybody knows what's going to happen now. Everybody just sit down. All right. Everybody sit down. We're going to sing glory, glory, glory. Somebody touch me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You remember what day you got saved on? Stand up and remain standing. We'll all be up. If you don't remember, but you know you're saved, to stand up with us on Sunday. All right. Glory, glory, glory. Somebody touch me. All right. All together.
shape than we are now, I think, but <coughs> uh, Brother Rick pulled one on me a while ago, yeah, feeling pretty good, yeah, you feel like singing, I said, I'm ready, he said, sing one, I didn't know what in this world I was going to sing, but uh, some of y'all know I'm going in for a arteriogram tomorrow at 5 o'clock at Parkridge, and uh, won't y'all pray for him, been having a little bit of trouble lately, uh, I've, I've been having some chest pains and tightness for about three or four months. Didn't tell nobody. I just, I just thought it was one of these things that go away. You know, I, I, I was hoping it would, but it didn't. And uh, about two weeks ago, I finally told my wife. And I wonder if she hadn't picked up the frying pan and hit me in the head with it. But she said, you better get that checked out. I mean, she just kind of insisted on it. I may be the head, but when the neck turns the head, you got to do something. So anyway, <coughs> I, w- <laughs> I went down to Dr. Cheryl. He sent me over to this heart doctor Wednesday, and this heart doctor when he was examining me, I said, ah, I probably just got a little anxiety. It'll be all right. And uh, he, he, he didn't pay me no attention. He called me in his office after he got through checking me out. He said, from the looks of your EKG, you've done had a heart attack. My mouth flew up. I said, huh? I don't remember having no heart attack. I guess what it amounts to, I had a heart attack and just didn't have sense enough to realize it. That's probably what it was. I always thought my heart was so healthy when I died, they'd have to take it out and beat it to death. But I didn't know. But uh, anyhow, we're going to have it checked out tomorrow. He, he thinks that maybe, uh, you know, they're smarter, it's blocked and so forth. So we're, we're going to check it out about 5 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. When he first told me this, though, folks, I was shocked to death. I was scared. I mean, boy, I'll tell you what, it, it scared me. I wasn't expecting to hear all that mess. Uh, I went outside and waited on my wife. She'd come pick me up. I'd, my doctor would have had a heart attack if he saw how I got to his office. I left work, walked down the bank, caught the bus off at Lyrley Street, walked across the college Avenue to go see him. I wasn't thinking much about it. And uh, my wife came and picked me up when I got through. She got off from work. And I said, well, I've already had my cry. I guess I'm okay now. I told her what was going on. <laughs> but really, I've just put this thing in God's hands. It's up to him. You know, uh, I said, God, just do with me what you will. If he can use me better down here, I want him to leave me right here. If he can use me better up there, he can just take me on. That's fine, too. But uh, <clears throat> just it's just up to God. So I thought, what a good time tonight to sing this song, He Pilots My Ship. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried to sell it alone before January 3rd, 1960. It didn't work too good. And uh, that night, realizing I didn't know the Lord, I came to Jesus, and I asked him to forgive me and save me. He did. He's kept me all these years. And no matter how many EGK tests they do or how many cataract arrests I might have or whatever, 
I, I just want you to know that Jesus still pilots my ship. Now the soul of man is like a ship that sails on the sea of time. The storms may come and the winds may blow and rock this ship of mine. But the reason my ship has never sank and today she's still afloat. My compass is God's precious word and Jesus pilots my boat. I won't sail these stormy seas no more unless Jesus leads the way. I won't ever drift so far from the shore I can't hear what he has to say. For I belong to a fleet that sails today on a glorious one-way trip. We'll land safely on shore to sail no more for Jesus pilots my ship. Now my boat pulled in to safety's port. My stern was torn apart. The bow on my vessel was so badly crushed. Sin's waters hardened my heart. Oh, I'd sail so long on life's angry ways with my cargo of fear and despair. Oh, but I called on his name, and he lifted the blame. Now he pilots my ship everywhere. I won't sail these stormy seas no more unless Jesus leads the way. I won't ever drift so far from the shore. I can't hear what he has to say. For I belong to a fleet that sails today on a glorious one-way trip. We'll land safely on shore to sail no more. For Jesus pilots my ship. We'll land safely on shore to sail no more. For Jesus pilots my ship. He pilots my ship. We're going to be praying for David tomorrow. Say amen. We appreciate David and we'll be praying for him tomorrow. What a joy it has been to have Brother Clayton Shumpert with us today. And I want him to come and share with us tonight God's word. I certainly want to thank you for your faithful support through the years. And every soul that has been, been saved and every life changed and every church that has been built is to your account. When we get to heaven, and only then, will you see the real fruit of your labor. Your church is accomplishing more than meets the eye. You cannot see it all. A pastor, a preacher, a teacher has to wait for the fruit to cycle back around. Have you ever noticed that it's rare for a teenager to run up to a teacher and 
very genuinely, sincerely say, oh, thank you, teacher. <laughs> I really appreciate all the knowledge that you've imparted to me. Usually that's not the case. But there are many, many times when they get older, they cycle back around and find that teacher. And so you have to be patient in the work of the Lord. Amen? David, that song was a blessing. It's just a blessing to be able to see you. And um, I praise the Lord for David Knight's faithfulness. And it shouted our heart to see Joel come this morning. I remember when his mother carried him. And uh, I shouldn't say too much more. <laughs> or we'll get dated uh, even, even worse. Are you glad to be saved tonight? There are some prayers that Christians ought to pray repeatedly all through the Christian experience. And the first prayer was prayed by David when he said, Search me. Search me, O God. A constant prayer. The Greek philosopher said the unexamined life is not worth living. And so it is good for us to constantly examine ourselves. The second prayer is prayed by Simon Peter when he said, Save me. And that was not the prayer for salvation. It was a prayer of deliverance, and that's when he uh, took his eyes off the Lord and looked on the circumstances. And have you ever noticed some of the greatest prayers in the Bible are short prayers? <laughs> Save me. And then a third one is prayed by Moses, Show me thy glory. And the work of missions has to involve seeing the glory of God. In order for us to understand the sinfulness of man, we must understand his glory. And then there is a fourth prayer. We ought to pray this all along. And that is the prayer of Isaiah when he said, Send me. And I trust it will be the prayer upon the hearts of God's people, every person in this place. Dear Lord, send me. It might be send me across the street, from street to street, from state to state, from shore to shore. That is the work of missions. One beggar telling the other beggar where he found the bread. And missions is a particular person going to a particular people with a particular message, and that message is of the Lord Jesus. And in order for us to do right about the work of missions, these three ingredients must constantly be in play. In the life of your church, uh, you must constantly have these three in order for the work of your outreach at your own Jerusalem and to the regions beyond. There must be these three ingredients. It's exactly like baking a cake. If you don't have certain ingredients, it will not make a cake. I mean, you've got to have certain things to make a cake. Now, here are the three ingredients involved in mission. First, there must be humility because pride is the enemy of world evangelism. We must die daily, as Paul said. And do you remember, many of you recall this, Dr. Robertson used to talk about turning his ring upside down, and obviously it would feel awkward. And he used to use that as, as an illustration to help remind himself, when I feel that strange feeling to die daily, die to self, die to self, one of his major themes of life. There must be humility. But also there must be honesty. An honest evaluation of who we are, an honest evaluation of the needs of the world. 
what are the real needs of the world? Um, are they social? Well, obviously, you know that there are many social issues. What are the genuine needs of the world? The government's spending multiplied millions of dollars, and they've missed the mark. It's not the, it's not the real need. There must be honesty, honesty to examine, honesty to evaluate, honesty to e look into the Scriptures and see what it has to say, honesty about ourselves, honesty about our lifestyle. Have you ever thought about your checkbook being a picture of your character? There must be honesty. I heard the story about a mother who had a little boy who was about to tell stories. He started making up exaggerated stories, and he got where he would just lie. <laughs> and it bothered the mother about it. And so she spoke to the pastor, and she said, uh, my little boy's been telling lies. I'm worried about him. They get worse and worse. The pastor said, well, I'll talk with him and see if I can help him. And the pastor thought that he would make up an exaggerated, unbelievable story, and it would make a point and the little fellow could easily see it and it would help him and he said son there was an old country preacher years ago and out in the country had the windows open and the front door of the church was open and and uh, out of the mountain came a big bear that bear was so big he had to bend over stooped over came inside the church and started eating up people just grabbing them up and then there was a little old feist dog that jumped on that bear and he knocked him down and he ate that bear and the pastor said, son, do you believe that? And the little boy said, yes, sir, because that was my dog. <laughs> there must be real honesty. But also there must be a hunger. What does it mean to be spiritually minded? I'm not sure that I can adequate give, adequately give a real solid definition but I think I can touch on it. And in order for us to be spiritual, we must see people the way Jesus saw people. It is impossible for anybody to be spiritually minded unless you look at earth from heaven's point of view. Now, you might have all kinds of ingredients otherwise, but you cannot be spiritual unless you see people the way Jesus saw them. And he saw us, of course, as sheep having no shepherd. So there must be humility and honesty and hunger all of the time in our lives. Hunger to do more, hunger to see people saved, hunger to see churches built, lives changed. And uh, the pastor this morning challenged your thinking when he said, pray, ask the Lord what you can do. Uh, I'll give you an illustration. You have the capability with the men in your church to go to Mexico and build a church. It cost about $12,000 to build a complete church in certain parts of Mexico. Now, that's not true in Mexico City. That would not be true in Guadalajara in the city. But this is true out in some of the rural areas. And it's concrete block walls and uh, uh, wood trusses and a tin roof. And there are places there that I've seen that if I described to you or if I showed you a slide, I'm not sure you would believe it. I mean, it is so crude and so primitive. There's a place just out of Tuxla, Mexico, in the state of Chiapas, South Mexico, uh, fairly close to the border of Guatemala, and uh, it's called Blue Water Baptist Church. And for Sunday school classes, there are little stalls, and honestly, I'm telling you the truth, 
when I saw that, I thought they were pig pens. And I've seen many pig pens that were better than those places for that little church. And you have that kind of capability. What is in thine hand? You can do that. And by the way, you can have a lot of fun doing it. You can fly right into that place. I've been there. I don't believe it is unsafe. We've never been in a situation where we felt threatened in any degree whatsoever. There's a brand new Sam's Wholesale right around the corner from the hotel. The hotel costs about $25 a night. It's clean. It's decent. It has a telephone, best I remember. Um, the floors are clean. It has a good place for you to bathe and such as that. It's, it's not a little shack. And um, if you take your Sam's card with you, if you have one, you can walk around the corner, and then you can walk across the street, and there's a fairly modern shopping center that is there, and don't dare go without buying some of that vanilla. And if you don't care about it for yourself, bring it home for your wife. And if, you, if she doesn't necessarily need it, bring it for some of the ladies in the church. And there's nothing any better than that pure 100% Mexico vanilla. And uh, the best place to buy it is at the airport because there you get the best quality and a big bottle will last you three years, cost about $2. And uh, you ought to go down there, if nothing else, to buy a nice bottle of vanilla and just go wild when you get home. Just make up everything you can imagine. And uh, last time we were there, we just had the biggest fun. And we built one church and we started a second one, and we didn't have the money to finish it. And I told them when we went, now we've only raised so much, and it's not enough to do two churches. And they pitched in and started, and they did everything they could, and we went as far as we could go. And now I'm happy to report to you by the help of the Lord and by the help of the Lord's people, arrangements have been made to put a roof on that church and finish up that second one, and they won't have little pig pens anymore for classrooms. There are things that you can do. Uh, one lady just uh, gave uh, an accordion. If you have a musical instrument in the attic somewhere, uh, sometimes people give a missionary car, an automobile that can be used in deputation and such as that. Uh, have you left something in your will for the Lord's work? You know, most Americans don't even have a will. And you ought to have one, or your wife ought to have one, and you ought to leave at least 10% uh, for the Lord's work. Have you thought about that? Uh, if you don't have that arranged, get it done. Take care of it by the first of the year. And uh, that way, he being dead yet speaketh. And you're, you ought to consider that. And remember the Lord's work. Remember your church. And uh, then also, if you cannot go to the mission field, you can help send someone who can. I was in a church in North Carolina, and a man said, well, I travel so much in my business, I have frequent flyer miles, and I'll give a frequent flyer ticket. And that works as well as a paid-for ticket. And just think, ask the Lord to show you, and he'll give you what is in thine hand. He'll give you ideas and things that you can use in the work of the Lord. I'd like for you to notice with me this verse. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And again, this is a very familiar missionary scripture and I'd like to hurriedly give you tonight five missionary maxims these are missionary absolutes these are things about the work of missions that cannot be changed 
These are things that are set, and they cannot be changed. They're absolutes about the work of missions. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power, that's Holy Spirit power, dunamis, dynamite is the word, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem, notice the progression of it, then in all Judea, then Samaria, then under the uttermost part of the earth. It's personal, it's a primary program, it's a powerful program. Do you see the progression of it in this passage? And certainly the Lord wants us to preach the gospel. And we're to be a light and a witness. God put us here to be a witness in the world. Now this church, and our, all of our churches together, can guarantee that we can save one soul. We cannot save anybody. God has to do the saving. But it's our job to be a witness in the world and to be a light. And where Jesus is being preached, people are being saved. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And it's our duty to preach him and present him and promote him. And then he will draw people unto himself. Now here are the five absolutes about missions. Number one, the exclusiveness of Christ creates the necessity of missions because Jesus exclusively, he alone can do it. Nobody can save but Jesus. Salvation is in none other. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if Buddha could save people, then I would say let's leave all the Buddhists to themselves. Leave them alone. They have their religion. Their religion is going to get them to heaven. Why spend money? Why send missionaries? Leave them alone in their religion. If the Hindu religion was sufficient, leave them alone. They're fine as they are. If we believe that Buddha could save, if we believe that Allah, Mohammed could save, leave the Muslim alone. Let is the Islamic religion suffice. We would not send missionaries. But the exclusiveness of Christ makes missions necessary. Ye must be born again. And there's only one way from earth to heaven, the blood-sprinkled way, and it gives us the necessity of it. Therefore, it is not optional, it is essential. And without him who is the way, there is no going. Without him who is the truth, there is no knowing. Without him who is the life, there is no living. And it's all centered in the Lord Jesus. Therefore... It is an obligation, and it's not an option. A church ceases to fulfill its reason to exist if it's not involved in world evangelism. Here's number two. The condition of the Christless conveys the gravity of missions. You'll never do anything more sincere than send somebody the gospel of Christ. It's a grave matter, the gravity of it. Do you see it? And what is the condition of the Christless? Well, obviously, without Jesus, we're lost. The awful reality of hell. I'm not sure how it can be accomplished. And I've never in my life enjoyed preaching on hell. But there's so little of it. I'd like to see more preaching about hell. I've heard a few times men preach on hell as if they enjoyed it and as if they were glad there was a hell. I've never enjoyed preaching about hell. 
the awfulness of it. I wouldn't want a dog to go to hell. And certainly there is the condition of the cross. We're talking about eternal punishment, permanent suffering, and that creates the gravity of this matter. You'll never entertain anything in all of your church ministry than getting the gospel to lost people. You'll never have a business meeting that will involve anything holier than this holy work, and it is the very heartbeat of God. It gives us the gravity of missions. But here's number three. The glories of the cross comprise the vitality of missions, and that is the cross manifests the person and power of the something vital, and it has its vitality in the cross of Calvary. I never will forget the first time that I was in Israel, and I've been a number of times, and the first time, Pastor, that I was at the Garden Tomb and Gordon's Calvary, I had the strangest feeling that I had been there before. I knew I had not. But somehow I felt that I had been there before. And when I prayed and asked the Lord to show me, he said, Son, your sins were here 2,000 years ago and placed upon the shoulders of Jesus. And that's why there was a connection. See it? I knew that when I visited the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus had performed some miracles there. I knew that certain places, why, that's where he fed the 5,000, and that's where. But when we went to Calvary, I said, Dear Lord, here is where you did something for me. <laughs> And I felt an identification and a kinship to the cross of Calvary. And it is the vitality. You see, the cross ordained the defeat of Satan. And the cross provides the sweetest fellowship known to man. And the cross provides the greatest dividends known to man. And I want you to know that there is no organization, there is no institution known to man that is so great as that of the local church, and thank God for a church where you can belong and you can be identified with Christ and with his people, and please don't ever take that for granted. And with that kind of vitality and motivation, it ought to stir us to be sure this place is packed full every time and running over because of the vitality. It provides the motive of missions, the message of missions, and the cross is the only premise of hope known to man. I know of no other religion I know of no other method. I'll tell you, all of my eggs are in one basket. I don't have another story to tell. I, I don't have another plan to offer. I believe it's in Jesus and in Jesus alone, and it makes it vital without Calvary. We have no message to preach. We have no motive. We have no mission. We have no hope. But thank God there is Calvary, and because of the cross, we have a story to tell to the nation. But here's number four. The executive of the church, and that is Christ, consigns the responsibility of missions. He orders our responsibility. We're a church with a charter. We're debtors. Did you know the Temple Baptist Church will never get out of debt till every person has heard the gospel? <laughs> in that sense, we'll always be in debt. Because we're debtors, both to the Jew and the Greek, the wise, the unwise, and we are ambassadors. And the main task of the church is wrapped up in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Our ministry is not a complicated work. Oh, we have challenges. You'd better believe it. But it's not a difficult thing to figure out a job description. 
Did you know the job description for every child of God is this? Reach out and touch someone. That's all. Simplicity is genius. And the job description is for us to reach out and touch somebody with the gospel of Christ. And then here's number five. The expendability of the Christian connotes the priority of mission. Now that 25-cent word, expendability, means that the Christian is expendable, and that means designating men and our equipment worth losing in order to obtain an objective. Now here's an illustration. During the days of World War II, when Nazi Germany was pounding England, they were bombing the city of London, and Prime Minister Winston Churchill asked if he could have an audience with the American people. In that time, of course, television was not on the scene, but radio was used commonly, and people listened attentively to the radio. And he was granted permission, and that short, stocky British statesman made an appeal and he pleaded with the people of America, we need help because Nazi Germany was involved in their type of warfare they called Blitzkrieg, and they were pounding the city of London and almost destroyed it. And he gave his appeal over the radio, and he finished his brief appeal by saying, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. And the American forces responded. The Allied forces joined hands together and there was a great cost involved in winning the freedom in England and in all of Europe. I would venture to say that many people in this church could testify of loved ones who died in the battles of World War II in Europe and in the Pacific Theater as well. But it was at, at a great cost in order for us to give ourselves for that cause. But what was the purpose? What was the objective? It was to win freedom, and we did. Thank God we're not goose-stepping to Nazi Germany tonight, and Hitler was suppressed, and the German philosophy was put down, and it's because soldiers, men and some women, were considered expendable in order to gain an objective. Great loss of life, but we won freedom. And did you know that there are times when God will allow his soldiers to die, missionaries die, to help us understand that it's priority. My mind goes back to Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Pete Fleming and those five missionaries in Quito, Ecuador, 1956. And you remember they were all martyred. There's a great story, great, great story behind all of that. And do you remember they tried to establish relations, friendly relationships with that warring tribe of Indians? And finally they landed their little plane on the beach in Quito, Ecuador, and they gave some gifts, and they had already dropped flyers and some gifts from the airplane trying to establish a relationship. And there was a woman who came out of the woods onto the beach, and she actually shook hands with one of the missionaries. They took that as a good sign. We finally have an open door, and we can preach to them, and we can win them now. Then, all of a sudden, one of those men killed Jim Elliott, and five choice young American missionaries were martyred. Many of you know the rest of the story, how that all of that tribe came to know Christ as Savior, and many of you also know that the fellow who murdered 
Jim Elliott later baptized some of the converts. And it's a tremendous story. But God let Jim Elliott die. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have created an earthquake and swallowed up that whole Indian tribe, but he allowed those five to die to show us the priority of missions. In other words, this is not a little plaything. This is not kindergarten stuff. You can sit through a service and slough it off, but I want you to know this is the closest thing to the heart of God. It's the last thing he said before he ascended back to the Father. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There was an old country boy named Bobby Powell out of Greenville County in South Carolina. And the Lord called him to go to Brazil as a missionary. Bobby Powell started with that Portuguese language and he studied and he couldn't get it to save his life. He tried, he was diligent, he was conscientious in his studies, but he just couldn't get it. When he went to Brazil, he would give out gospel tracts and he did everything that he could with his language, but he started having headaches and he went to a Brazilian doctor and that uh, a doctor said, we have found something that doesn't look good. We don't have the equipment to test it out uh, properly. We recommend, Bobby Powell, that you go back to the U.S. and you have diagnostic tests. And Bobby Powell came back to the U.S. and they ran the test and said, Mr. Powell, you have a malignant brain tumor. And it is large and it is fast growing. Bobby Powell went on into surgery and they said, we think we have all of the cancerous cells. They sewed that place back in his head. His wife said, uh, Bobby, I guess we cannot go back to Brazil now because you're in no condition. He said, oh, but God's called us to Brazil and when I get my strength back, let's go. We'll go again. And Bobby Powell went back. He studied the language. He still couldn't get it. He still gave out tracts. He still witnessed. He started back with headaches again. And he came back to the U.S. again. That tumor was now larger than ever. He went under surgery the second time. They said, hopefully, it's removed now. Bobby, we surely cannot go back now. There's no way to go back in our condition. He said, but honey, the Lord's called us to Brazil. And as soon as I can get my strength, we'll go back. He went back, and on that third time, he studied the language again. He couldn't get it to save his life. But one day, he was witnessing to an elderly Brazilian lady, and he took a gospel tract, and he pointed to the cross, and he ran his fingers across the Portuguese words, and he pointed to his heart, and some tears trickled out of his eyes. That dear soul got under conviction, and he was able to find another missionary, and he brought that missionary who knew the language and put, her, put the missionary together with that elderly lady and she was wonderfully saved. And I'd give anything in this world if I could lift you just for a few moments and set you down in Orlandia, Brazil. And there you would find a church almost as large as this building and some 300, 400 in attendance and a tall, slender Brazilian pastor and preaching the gospel of Christ and singing the old songs of the faith, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, how firm a foundation, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And you see, here's what happened. 
Bobby Powell came back the third time and he never made it out of surgery. God let him die. But by winning that one lady, she gave that property and she was able to give a portion of money. And to this very day, there's a Bible preaching church in that city. I just talked to Philip Allen last week who was pastor there after Bobby Powell died. I know what I'm talking about. I've been to the church. I've met that pastor. You see, it's somehow to show us the priority of missions. I wish that we could line up across the front here some of the shoes, those empty shoes of, John, of Joe and Tana Collins and those little babies, five children, the last a set of twins. And all of you perhaps know the story about how they died a few years ago in the plane crash. They were on an Airbus 300, and that aircraft is operated mainly by computer. And the pilot punched in the coordinates, and the co-pilot came along and punched in the coordinates. And there is something about the design of that particular aircraft where it counsels out itself when it's done in that fashion, and it cannot distinguish between degrees north or degrees south. And that's according to Tana's father, who was there and talked with Thai Airways about the details. That American missionary family, Joe, who went to Tabernacle School in Greenville, and Tana, whose dad is a Baptist preacher in Brownville, Tennessee. By the way, I'd recommend that you have them and meet Tana's mom and dad. And let them tell you what it was like for them to get first-class tickets provided free of charge by Thai Airways and to fly into Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal, and go into Joe and Tana's house and pack up little baby shoes and baby clothes. And it's all that Mother Martha can do to stand up and tell you about all of that. And she'll say, You'd better believe when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus, but I want to see my grandbabies too. Five of them. And that Airbus 300, no doubt Pastor has flown that kind of aircraft. Maybe some of you, I've been on a number of those, and now the new Airbus 320. In 127th of a second, when the nose of that jet touched the Himalaya mountain where it crashed, in 127th of a second, there were no survivors at all. Those Buddhist and Hindu authorities finally got back into the rugged terrain, into the mountainside, where the debris is scattered all over the side of that mountain, and it was a monsoon rain, and the storms and the ruggedness of it, it took them a long time even to get back in there. And when they finally got to that place, out of American missionary of seven, a mom and dad and five children, the only thing they found to return was Joe's Bible. And his Bible was intact as if nothing had ever happened. Not a page missing, not a word missing. I've held that Bible, I've taken that Bible with me to missions conferences before. It's a tribute to the eternality of the Word of God. Is God not great enough and is God not big enough that he could have saved them and spared them and somehow caused that 
aircraft and those pilots to make a change so they'd miss the top of that mountain and go on to the destination. You'd better believe. Listen, God can do anything that He wants to do. God is not limited. Don't ever try to put God in a box. He can do anything that He wants to do. But listen to me. God let them die to help us understand the priority of missions. And watch this. I'll make a confession. I didn't really know where Nepal was. I knew about where that country was, but I'll honest, I didn't know exactly where that place was. And after Joe and Tana died, there are thousands of Christians who have prayed for that place. As Paul Harvey would say, now for the rest of the story. <laughs> God gave that boy, Joe Collins, the ability to learn that difficult language, Nepali. Harder, I believe, than Japanese, harder than Chinese, a very difficult language. And he picked it up. He was able to grasp the language. He was able to start preaching in Nepali. And did you know now that in this pagan city, I'm talking about, I'm talking about a center of heathen worship. I'm talking about one of the most wicked places on the face of the earth. There is Buddha Baptist Church. It's pronounced Buddha. It has nothing to do with the false god Buddha. There is a Baptist church, and there is a Nepali pastor, and they just baptized 24 converts. They've also started now a second church. There's an orphanage home, and Joe Collins got the idea of an orphanage home when he was at Tabernacle in Greenville. And he took up that idea, and there's an orphanage home. And did you know that in that place they often throw away children, especially little girl babies? They literally throw them under a bridge, and they die like you'd throw away a sick puppy. And the government found out that he was willing, and they'd call Joe. We have two tonight. Can you take them? We don't know what to do with these tonight. Would you be willing to take them? and he'd find one under a bridge. He started gathering up all he could, and now there's an organized orphanage ministry that is ongoing. Do you see it? And God had to shake as if it were the fundamentalist world so that we could sharpen our senses to even know where Nepal was. And the expendability of the Christian gives us the priority of missions. I would beg of you, to keep on doing what you're doing in the work of missions and yet increase it, you're doing well. Pastor has given an excellent report. Now you put your hand on the plow. Don't look back. Don't miss a step. I'm telling you, when we, go, when we face the Lord, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. David, it's going to be worth it all. I believe when we sense the majesty of His presence and see the glory of His person, it'll dawn upon our old wretched hearts. He's worthy, and I only wish that I had given Him more. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase when we see Christ. Pray for me, your missionaries. I've got a little list here of seven things to pray for when you pray for missionaries. And 
You know, the Bible teaches in Romans 8 and verse 26, for the Spirit himself helpeth us. Because we don't always know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself helpeth us, uh, helps us to pray. You know, years ago at the Chicago Expo, the World's Fair in Chicago, they had a new machine called Scrambled Speech. And you could speak into that machine a sentence or two, and it would record it. And you could push a button, it'd play it back to you just as you spoke it. But you could also push another button, and it would scramble it all up and put it in spoonerisms, and then you'd push the button, and it would play it back in scrambled speech. Then you could push the other button, and it'd play it back just as you originally spoke it. And there are times when we don't even know how to pray as we ought. Have you ever gotten to the place where you have groanings? You just groan before God? Dear Lord, I don't even know how to pray. The burden is so heavy, the need is so great, I, I don't even know how to intelligently pray, and it's more groaning than it is anything else. Well, I want you to know that this Holy Spirit gets involved in that, and He takes our scrambled prayers and straightens them out in the ear of God. And God reads the desire of the heart. And I beg of you to please don't stop praying and don't dare back up in supporting your missionaries. Seven things. Number one, pray for our safety. It was after midnight around Knoxville, a foggy night in the winter, and an old truck was in front of me and a ball of steel, scrap metal, must have been as big as this pulpit, fell off the back of that truck and hit the front quarter panel of that automobile. It sounded like it took the front end of it off. I believe the devil tried to kill me that night around midnight. I got the car off the side of the road, got out in the rain, looked it over. It looked like it was drivable. I eased it along the shoulder. It felt all right. And it was all right, except for the damage that was done, but it was drivable. I got it home, said, thank you, dear Lord. Pray for our safety. There are many, many miles. And Satan would like to kill every, every preacher in this world. Does the name Anton LaVey mean anything to you? Do you know the name of the Satan worshiper Anton LaVey? I don't know all the details about that, but I do know that he used to call on Halloween night a prayer meeting on Lookout Mountain. And this leader, he wrote the Satan, Satanic Bible. This leader used to gather all that he could up on Lookout Mountain and pray. Last time he was there, he prayed specifically that Bible-preaching men would fall into sin and be destroyed. Well, somehow... Some of God's people found out about that, and we started doing some imprecatory praying ourselves. And when Anton LaVey left that mountain, on his way home he was killed. He that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. We need to pray for our safety. Pray, for, secondly, for our success. I want to see fruits. Life is too important to spin our wheels. I think that's the desire of your heart, too. You want to see success. You want to see success in your personal life and in your church. 
We want to see success in the missionary ministry. Thank God, just a a couple of weeks ago, I saw a 60-year-old man saved in Decatur, Illinois. And then there was a fine 16-year-old boy came weeping, fell in an altar, and he said, God has called me to be a missionary. The pastor testified of the strength of that young man, a young man full of good godly character. I like that kind of fruit, don't you? I'll tell you, it thrills my heart to know that in Siberia tonight, there's a Baptist church that's been built by voluntary lay people who would go to the field and do the job. Pray for our success. Number three, pray for our sanity. We've had missionaries to have mental breakdowns and have to leave the field. The burdens, the load. Have you ever felt the weight of a church ministry on your shoulders? Years ago, when answering machines first came on on the scene, uh, secretaries at our church said to me, uh, let's get an answering machine. People may call after hours or over the weekend, have something important, and it might be good for us to have one of those. I said, well, it'd be perfectly fine. Get it and set it up. And the very first night, there was a lady who called and filled up a 45-minute tape on the answering machine. When I came in the next morning, they told me about it, and they chuckled some. But I thought to myself, how desperate. For somebody to be so distressed, they'd talk to the answering machine until the tape ran. My wife and I have spent hours with Betty trying to help her. I have a good conscience about trying to help her. I've worked with her doctor. I've I've worked with her husband. Her husband was an aircraft mechanic. Her son, Rocky, was one of the worst boys I've ever seen in my life. Drugs, you name it, he was into everything. Do you feel the weight? 24 hours a day, the care of all the churches, as Paul said. Have you ever felt that load? Have you ever wet your pillow at night with tears because your husband was lost, your loved one was lost, you had a wayward son, a wayward daughter, the weight, pray for our sanity. I want you to answer this for me. Have you ever had anyone with a different accent and their accent got on your nerves? Now, don't be so super spiritual, just be honest. Their accent just bugs you. What about on the mission field with some of that gibberish, that accent? You know, I'm a southerner. I kind of like it. I'm not prejudiced under the Lord. I'm generic enough. I've been been in 73 countries and up and down and north, south, east, and west. I don't believe that I've got a problem with any kind of prejudice, but we're kind of sloppy the way we talk sometimes. You ever figured out how you spell you ought to? I don't mind it. I kind of like it. I grew up like that. It doesn't bother me at all. But there's some people just it drive them up the wall the way we talk. Some people don't even know how to talk good English. Amen. <laughs> we, in heaven, I think it'll be southern style. 
pray for our sanity. But here it is again, number four, pray for our stamina and strength, physical strength and stamina, just to keep on. I report to you tonight that it's been my greatest year of fruit, but it's been my most difficult year physically. The doctors have told me not to do what I'm doing. And I should not totally ignore their advice. I want to hasten to number five, pray for our spirituality. We're just like anybody else. Missionaries need to stay right with God and stay in a proper relationship with the Lord, just like any Christian. Missionaries need to do that as well. You know, the Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing, but... In spite of that scripture, we can get weary and well-doing. Did you know that uh, about three years ago, we lost a missionary, and he met a woman on the Internet and developed a relationship as a missionary on his field with a woman on the Internet? Did you know that he finally left his wife He's out of the ministry. He's not even attending church today. Pray for our spirituality. We had a missionary wife in South America. Went to the doctor for a physical. And out of that physical, the wrong kind of relationship was formed. If I would have called the name You'd recognize them from good stock, good character, good reputation, good background, and their lives shattered and destroyed. I want you to know that we need to have your prayers for our spirituality. There are other categories too, pride, ego. I've never in my life seen so much carnal pride in the ministry as there is today. Come on. And then let me go to number six. Pray for our supplies. Give us the tools so that we can finish the job. I get very, very weary sometimes with the loads, with a plane ticket here and a need here and a need here. Uh, emails coming in and faxes from around the world and letters from Missionary 34 requests right now. And one of them just said, We need a new roof for our church. We have no money. Can you help us? A pastor with nine children in Wisconsin had a leaking roof, and the roof really in the old house, the old farmhouse about to fall down. I know that you folk don't know us, but is there anything you could do to help? And all I can tell you is thank God now he has a new roof on his house and the need has been met. Pray for our supplies. But then here's number seven. Pray that Satan will be defeated because it is spiritual warfare. And please remember that while you're having a good time, and rem just remember we're involved in spiritual warfare, and those are seven valid things to pray for when you remember your missionaries. I'd like for us to represent the missionaries tonight by the lighting of these candles. pastor will have his part and be involved, and many, many others We'll ask you to participate and help us. And let's bow our heads for prayer as we make preparation. We need a man who will be ready at the light switches.
We need someone who will be able to light this candle down front, which represents this church who preaches the gospel. And we'll tell you more about that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll touch every heart and make this time a blessing to us. Once again, dear Lord, we thank you for this people, for this pastor who has been so good to me. And dear Lord, for the host of missionaries supported by Temple Baptist Church, we lift them before the throne of grace in intercessory prayer. And dear Lord, be with that discouraged missionary wife tonight, wherever she is on the field. Dear Lord, touch her and encourage her and strengthen her. And for that one who's about ready to quit, give him stamina, I pray. And dear Lord, for those uh, who are weary and for those who are fighting those spiritual battles and for those who are about to lose their ministry, for those who are now tempted in the flesh, oh God, deliver, I pray, and minister to their every need. I ask humbly for Jesus' sake, amen. We'd like to have the lights turn down and want you to notice that there are three wicks to this candle. You might think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this church is a sending agency, sending missionaries around the world. A light in a dark, dark world. We need people to come and take a candle, as the missionary names are called, and pastor if you'll give us the names of those supported by Temple Baptist Church, we want you to come, take a candle, and stand in for them. And then you need to go to the side walls, and we'll keep adding the light. Let's have the list given now, please. As I call out the name of these missionaries, I want you and someone just to get up out of your seat and come Take a candle here and light it from the main candle and just walk to the sides here. So as each name is called out, if you'll just get about your seat and come and let me ask the missionary committee uh, to make their way down and, and, and be the first ones to come. Let's begin with those from that are our own, those that God has entrusted us with. Jim Ammons, serving the Lord in Nigeria. Mike. Bradley serving the Lord in England. Frankie Gant serving the Lord in Mexico. Karen Leger serving the Lord in New York City. Bill Murdoch serving the Lord in Costa Rica. Andy Ramsey serving the Lord in Costa Rica. Frank Rosser in the U.S. here in the States. Robert Talley serving the Lord in Germany. Peter Denisi serving the Lord going to the Philippines. These are those from the church and the other names as I call them. You just get up out of your seat and come. We need everyone to help us. You just come and take a candle to represent these missionaries that we support. Robert Zemeski, serving the Lord in Ireland. 
Gerald Zeman serving the Lord in Romania. John Wyatt serving the Lord here in the United States working for Prisoners for Christ. Eddie Woodfield serving the Lord in Italy, now in uh, Brazil, I believe it is. LeBron Williams serving the Lord in Germany. Frank Wells serving the Lord in Zaire. Fred Ware serving the Lord in Haiti. Bill Waltrip serving the Lord in Texas, Laredo, Nuevo Laredo. David Wade serving the Lord with Macedonia World Missions and printing around the world. Julio Velasquez serving the Lord in Venezuela. And this is a national, I trust to pronounce the name, Julio in New Guinea. George Trask, Sand Mountain Baptist Ministries. Gene Trask, Sand Mountain Baptist Ministries. Ken Touchton, serving the Lord in the Bahamas. Tommy Tilmerich, serving the Lord in Thailand. Richard Thompson with Faith Children's Home here in Chickamauga. Michael Talley, serving the Lord in Germany. Tabernacle Children's Home here in the United States. Paul Stetson, serving the Lord in France. William Smith, serving the Lord in England. Jerry Smith, serving the Lord in Mexico. J. Harold Smith, radio Bible class here in the United States. Al Sly, serving the Lord in Japan. Clayton Shumpert, BIMI in his work of helping build churches around the world. Larry Sexton in Honduras. Buck Sanford, this was a Joshua Scott ministry. Brad Rogers serving the Lord in Australia. Jack Reese with World Mission, Baptist World Mission Outreach to the Jews in the United States. Pete Raymond, serving the Lord in Mexico. Tom Pointer, serving the Lord in England. Glenn Palmer, serving the Lord in England. Solomon Olabi, serving the Lord in Nigeria. Ted Mullins in New Guinea. Lazarus McHale, serving the Lord in Egypt. Chattanooga Rescue Mission here in Chattanooga. Another national, simply called Mac in New Guinea. Jonathan Lyons in Spain. JT Lyons, now here in the States, but served the Lord for so many years in Spain. Ken Gene Lewis in Ontario, Canada. I believe he's now with the home office as a uh, director. Roger Kennard with the Caribbean. Farrell Kearney serving the Lord in England. 
Terrell Jones serving the Lord in Costa Rica. Virginia Johnson in China. Mickey Johnson in Europe. Bill Johnson in England. Harold Holbrook in Africa. Bob Hodge 